Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, HIV diagnoses hit a historic low in New York City. A Texas newspaper removes a reference to a gay man's husband in an obituary. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars finale leaves some fans stunned. Plus, my review of the new coming-out, coming-of-age movie, Love, Simon. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. The New York City Department of Health has released a new study that shows new HIV diagnoses have dropped to the lowest rate in the city's history. The report shows that 2,279 people were diagnosed with the virus in 2016. That's down 8.6% from 2015. The department first began tracking HIV statistics in 2001, which at that point saw 5,906 new infections that year. Researchers credit the decline in great part to the spread of preventative drug PrEP. The drug is available for low cost or no cost at the city's eight health clinics. At the beginning of 2016, only 5% of men having sex with men in New York City were using the drug. But by the end of the year, that figure jumped to 30%. Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis, the health department's deputy commissioner for disease control, told Jezebel recently, the technology has landed and implementation is moving quickly. Finally, we're seeing the curve of decline that is statistically significant. I think this is a harbinger of really good things to come. Although, the report wasn't all good news. The study showed a slight increase in new diagnoses for women particularly black and Latina women. Daskalakis told Jezebel, we're going to really energize our next campaign to be very, very women-focused. We need to be better with women, and so we will. A Texas newspaper removed a reference to a gay man's husband from his mother's obituary citing religious and ethical reasons. Barry Giles and John Gamble are married, and they've been together for 31 years. In the more than three decades together, Giles and Gamble say they often took family trips with Giles' late mother, Brenda Light, and cared for her when she moved closer to them in Dallas. When Light recently died, Giles submitted an obituary to the local paper, the Olton Enterprise. In the original obituary sent to the newspaper, Giles wrote, quote, Those left to cherish her memory include her son, Barry Giles, and his husband, John Gamble of Dallas. But when the obituary was published in the Olton Enterprise, the reference to Gamble had been removed. The line was edited to read, quote, Those left to cherish her memories include her son, Barry Giles of Dallas. Giles told the local Fox affiliate it wiped John completely off the picture like he didn't exist. Gamble said he confronted Philip Hamilton, the newspaper's publisher, to ask him why his name was deliberately excluded from his mother-in-law's obituary. Hamilton's answer? Because I wanted to. 
it won't surprise you to learn that Hamilton is a Baptist pastor who released this statement to the Fox affiliate, quote, it is my religious conviction that a male cannot have a husband. It is also my belief that to publish anything contrary to God's word on this issue would be to publish something in the newspaper that is not true. The newspaper respects the First Amendment rights of those who express such opinions. The newspaper's decision to edit the obituary is both ethical and lawful. It would be unethical to publish a news item that is known by the editor to be false. Based on the truth found in the Word of God, I could not in good conscience identify Mr. Gamble as the husband of Mr. Giles. And there you have it, folks. As I've said before, for every two steps forward, there's a jerk like Hamilton trying to take us one step back. But he won't. In TV news, there was a dramatic conclusion to Season 3 of VH1's RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars this week. The top four contestants performed a live taping of a music video complete with choreography. Plus, they learned that two of them would be eliminated by a jury of their queers, which turned out to be the contestants they had sent home throughout the season. Causing a major upset, frontrunner Shangela received only one vote from the jury for the final lip sync. Season one winner Bibi Zahara Benet was also cut leaving Trixie Mattel and Kennedy Davenport to slug it out in a final lip-sync to Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. And when the dust had cleared, Mattel was the lone queen left standing. In addition to the crown, Mattel received a $100,000 cash prize, a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame, and a one-year supply of Anastasia Beverly Hills Cosmetics. She joins All-Stars Season 1 winner Chad Michaels, and season two winner, Alaska, in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. And in related news, RuPaul, two-time Emmy Award winner and LGBTQ trailblazer, became the first drag queen to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The 57-year-old drag icon and reality TV mogul was presented by no less than longtime friend, Academy Award winner, Jane Fonda. RuPaul told Ellen DeGeneres this week that upon seeing Jane Fonda's Barbarella on the cover of Life magazine in 1968, quote, my career path was decided in that moment. I was going to become Barbarella. And here it is. She's giving me the star. Life is strange like that. Fonda introduced RuPaul saying Ru's star, quote, should be at least three sizes bigger than any other star on the Walk of Fame because I don't think anyone else has ever launched an industry like RuPaul has. He's created an industry that has given hundreds and hundreds of jobs and dreams to so many. Behind the glamour, behind the drag queen, is a man of great depth, incredible intelligence, and compassion. In accepting the honor, Ru said, As a kid, we'd come here. They dropped me right off here on Hollywood Boulevard so I could look at all the stars and dream that one day I could be one of the stars. This is absolutely the most important moment in my professional career. Congratulations, RuPaul. With opening day finally upon us, my husband Michael and I ventured out last night to catch the new gay-themed romantic comedy, Love, Simon. Directed by gay power producer Greg Berlanti, who's the driving force behind Flash, Riverdale, Brothers and Sisters, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, the film is based on the novel Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda. 
I found Berlanti's groundbreaking film, it is the first mainstream film to feature a teen gay front and center, to be an exuberant cross between a 1980s John Hughes teen angst film without the overwrought angst, and a thoughtful exploration of what it's like to come out in high school today. The film is filled with humor in its dialogue, its characters, its situations, but it never sacrifices actual emotional depth. The first half of the movie takes its time, but that's necessary to lay the groundwork for where we're headed. As a mainstream high school romantic comedy, there are some cliches here. The parents are away, we have to throw a house party. The vice principal who relates to his students. Clever voiceover work from our hero. And it's all backed by a soundtrack of catchy pop tunes. But that's all right. Because Simon, charmingly played by Jurassic World's Nick Robinson, tells us up front his huge-ass secret. That he's gay, and he doesn't really know how to come out. And fearing how life could change, he's not sure he wants to. He also resents having to come out at all. Which leads to a clever sequence imagining kids having to come out as heterosexual to their shocked parents. Why is straight the default, he asks. His life becomes complicated when he falls in love via email with an anonymous classmate who calls himself Blue. His identity is the cliffhanger of the film and Berlanti keeps the suspense going in clever fashion. To make things even more complicated, an obnoxious classmate that I really wanted Simon to punch, named Martin, discovers Simon's secret and threatens to out him unless Simon helps him date one of his friends. Eventually, the secret comes out. No, that's not really a spoiler. That's really the point of the movie. And Simon copes with his new world. As a gay man myself, I definitely felt like I was reliving some of my own coming out journey. There are touching moments with his parents, played by Jennifer Garner and Josh Duhamel, who handle the news in lovely form. In Garner's one-on-one -on -one with Simon, she lovingly tells him, quote, you can exhale now, Simon. And that moment felt really authentic for the whole film. One big exhale for young LGBTs. It was refreshing to see Robinson's Simon delivered as a clever every teen. And there were definitely hints of some 1980s Matthew Broderick witticisms in our hero. At the screening I attended, I saw practically no checking of cell phones during the film. Folks were paying attention. They were talking back to the screen, they were laughing at an over-the-top queer dance sequence, and they gasped in sympathy. When Simon's anonymous crush was finally revealed, the audience broke out into euphoric applause. It was a fun place to be. Love, Simon is a warm-hearted, crowd-pleasing, mainstream movie about a gay kid. And how many of those do we get? I think it's long past due. Or maybe it's right on time. The film appears to be doing well at the box office. According to Deadline, the flick is on track to open in fourth place to the tune of $11.7 million, more than the $10 million price tag for the film. Now, folks, I don't recommend movies just because they have gay content. I have to like them. And I like Love, Simon. I encourage you to get out and see the film. If we want to see ourselves in the art around us, TVs, movies, music, we have to show up in support. Go see Love, Simon. You'll smile, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll cheer. Berlanti and company don't necessarily reinvent the teen romantic comedy, but they do throw enough rainbow glitter around that you'll definitely walk out with the feels. And finally, 
I'm sad to report that Sammy Williams, the Tony Award winner for his groundbreaking performance as gay dancer Paul San Marco in the original production of A Chorus Line on Broadway, has passed away at the age of 69. In addition to the Tony Award, Williams was honored with the Obie Award when the show was still off-Broadway and a special Theatre World Award for his stunning work. While Michael Bennett's edgy internal-external directioning choreography advanced the art of Broadway storytelling by light years, Williams' monologue chronicling Paul San Marco's difficult teen years as a young gay man was the definition of pure theater. Standing in a spotlight with practically no movement at all, the heartbreaking and painfully authentic journey of Paul drew audiences in with just the power of his voice. The one sly theatrical technique Bennett did employ during the segment was a long, slow, almost indiscernible 90-second lighting cue that brought all the stage lights down save for that one spotlight. Paired with Sammy's brilliant performance, audiences were powerless to avoid the emotional impact of the scene. It's no exaggeration to say Sammy's performance in A Chorus Line changed lives, especially LGBT lives. Audiences gay and straight had rarely seen such a raw, authentic portrayal of a gay man on the Broadway stage before his Tony Award-winning performance. For many gay men, it was heart-stopping to see our lives presented without any pulled punches. Sammy had previously performed on Broadway in Applause, Seesaw, and The Happy Time, and he returned to the Great White Way on September 29, 1983 for Chorus Line's record-breaking performance at the Schubert Theater. On a personal note, I want to say I spent years touring in the national companies of A Chorus Line in the role of Mark for over a thousand performances, standing next to the character of Paul. From my first production in 1985 to my last in 2015 as choreographer, the power of the show, its naked honesty, never failed to move me. Rest in peace, Sammy Williams. That brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on the week's LGBTQ headlines via this 15-minute news magazine, I'd appreciate it if you would share The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of LGBTQ news, only in a lot less time. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I report on the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. I'm going to close with Sammy Williams singing Who Am I Anyway from the opening number of A Chorus Line. When I hear this, I think of the many young gays and lesbians who first saw their lives on stage in Sammy Williams' performance. What does he want from me? What should I try to be? So many faces all around, and here we go. Sounds a whole lot like life, doesn't it? Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. Who am I anyway? Am I my resume? That is a picture of a person I don't know. What does he want from me? What should I try to be? So many faces all around. And here we go. I need this job. Oh, God.